Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Simon Mills. I'm a senior associate at the Zien Group. I'd like to welcome you all to today's FS Club webinar, where we're going to be discussing the dilemma of ESG and supply chains in the construction industry. Now, I'm joined by James Swanston, who's the CEO and founder of Voyage Control, a technology business focused on making logistics more efficient. As always, the agenda for this webinar is very simple. Following my introduction, our speaker is going to make their presentation, and then we're going to move on to the Q&A session. Now, I'm afraid that you are all muted, but you are able to submit your questions through uh, the chat tool, which is on the right-hand side of your screen. Please do chip in at any point of the proceedings. I'm going to be collating your questions, and I'll put them to James at the end. Now, as with all of our FS Club webinars, we're going to be recording this session so you can come back and access the slides and the presentation at a later date. Now, before we move on, I really must thank our FS Club members who've opened up our webinar series to the public. With their help since March of 2020, we've held over 400 of these events on topics as diverse as money laundering, the metaverse and high salinity agriculture. The FS Club is the premier global executive knowledge network for technology and finance, where members can, and their guests can meet over a glass of wine to debate key issues which impact on financial services, technology and society. It's very much like a 21st century version of the city's 17th century coffee houses. And so, without further ado, I would like to introduce today's speaker. James, tell us about ESG and supply chains in the construction industry. Great. Uh, th thanks, Simon, and uh, hello, everyone. So uh, what I'd like to do is sort of do, do a bit of, a, I guess, a brief walk through the world of um, the, the construction industry and, and how that impacts on uh, sort of supply chains um, and, and everything like that. So I'm just going to jump into this. Perfect. Uh, and, and just to give you a bit of background, uh, you know, I've been based uh, in the UK for about uh, 15 years. Um, you know, London's my favourite city. It's It's been fascinating to see London's skyline change um, and indeed the skylines of many global cities uh, change and and uh, I'm very tremendously fortunate to be able to sort of be involved in, in a lot of that in a lot of uh, the world's larger cities. Um, in many respects, the, the discussion today is around ESG and supply chains, um, but fundamentally, th there's a very large operational challenge uh, for a lot of our customers um, and, and just a real lack of visibility with supply chains. Um, and every time we, we sort of spend time with construction companies, it's, it's actually quite fascinating to sort of understand that uh, as much as there might be strategies in place um, to talk about what companies want to do from, dare I say, an aspirational perspective, often there are some very, very significant tactical and operational challenges uh, that our clients face. Fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the construction industry, like I guess every other industry, was significantly impacted by COVID. Um, and in many respects, that forced uh, quite a, a seismic change in the way that the industry operates and sort of has, has very much required 
uh, construction, as with many other industries, to think about uh, what they're doing. And ultimately, I think really, you know, what, what, what I've got on here could really apply to any industry. Um, ultimately, any, any large business requires uh, a supply chain that's visible, um, uh, where people know what's going on, both at a, a tactical and a strategic level. Uh, where there's a, an understanding of being efficient and resilient. Uh, I, I come from a military background uh, and you know, within the military supply chains are utterly crucial and, and battles and wars are uh, won or lost because of supply chain issues. Uh, and you know, there's always you know, famous discussions about uh, Napoleonic's uh, withdrawal from Russia. Uh, back in the early 19th century, uh, which very much was a, a you know, horrendous logistical failure. Um, so ultimately, you know, I come from that background. And so when I got into this industry, it was very clear that there were a lot of challenges. And so those, those items, you know, visibility, efficiency, resilience, uh, apply very much in the military. And actually, they really apply in every other sector. But on top of that, there, there's a need to sort of overlay uh, requirements around sustainability and, and wider ESG obligations, um, and then general compliance uh, with the law. And certainly in the UK, there's a lot of regulation uh, around that uh, as well. Whether it's enforced is is another topic. Um, but then critically for, for any sort of uh, business, understanding the needs of customers is quite critical um, as well. Uh, just to give you a bit of a sense of of sort of our scale and, and, and what we do. Uh, our platform uh, initially launched in 2013 in the events industry, uh, supporting uh, Olympia London, uh, the big venue in West London that many of you will be familiar with. Um, we now operate in 15 countries, supporting about 100 construction firms, owners, asset operators, uh, and the, the projects that we support from a construction perspective uh, at the bottom end, sit at around the sort of five, 10 million pound mark. Uh, and at the top end, uh, one of our projects in the Middle East is uh, almost a 50 billion pound uh, project. So we sort of see this, this wide variety of uh, issues uh, globally and how different markets and different customers are trying to adapt to, to a new sort of technological um, reality and, and a sort of macro reality around ESG and so on. Uh, just to give you a, a, a bit of a, a quick sense of, of what we do. So the core focus of, of what we've been helping customers with is sort of scheduling and managing last mile deliveries in, into construction projects. Um, I, I actually, just before the call, I was, I was just chatting with uh, Simon and Peter about how actually the, the name of our business initially was, was Carbon Voyage because uh, sustainability is very much the, the heart of, of what we do and we actually changed it to, to Voyage Control. Um, and the reason we did that was because ultimately to, to achieve the outcomes we needed to achieve, we had to sort of look at this from an operational perspective rather than an ESG perspective. Uh, and certainly I think you know, if, if there's one thing that you take from this, it's that you know, ESG strategies and, and tactics in a, in a construction business have to be very intimately linked to operational outcomes and, and potentially cost outcomes. But so fundamentally, but this is this is what the platform does. It's about scheduling and optimizing the movement of materials onto job sites, managing tower cranes and hoists, 
understanding the material that's moving through uh, job sites, and then critically having the data uh, to understand uh, how your supply chains are operating and, and being able to do things like capturing scope three emissions and so on. And so that's really where we started. And this is you know, very much a journey with our customers. And then we sort of transitioned into helping customers track materials through the supply chain. Uh, our very first client doing this was uh, Madison Square Garden Sphere uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm sure some people will be aware that there's an MSG project uh, scheduled for Stratford, uh, but, but certainly our focus has been helping them to sort of really understand the, the logistics challenges through their supply chain. What's particularly interesting with a client like that is uh, because most of our customers are construction companies, they don't necessarily bear the financial risk of, of what's happening on a project. Whereas when some of our customers are actually the owners and developers, they have a very different perspective on wanting to understand movement of materials uh, through their supply chain. So the industry itself fundamentally uh, ha has, has a lot of challenges and um, I, I was at a, a conference in, in Washington DC a couple of weeks ago and, and talking about how it's sort of a death by a thousand cuts uh, in, in the construction industry. Uh, these, are, these are sort of some enduring challenges uh, that we see in, in, in the sector. Um, and, and this isn't just on, in the UK, this is global. Uh, massive, massive project delays, uh, massive increases in material and labor costs. Uh, you then have challenges like uh, the, the demand for skilled engineers in Saudi Arabia and, and the wider Middle East uh, puts pressure on firms here in the UK and Australia. Um, and there, there's sort of that war for talent. Um, and similarly, you know, material prices are significantly higher than what they used to be. And this potentially, oh sorry, particularly has affected uh, contracts that were fixed price contracts for construction projects um, and just again just piling pressure on, on construction companies. Uh, shipping costs uh, in 2021 and early 2022 uh, peaked uh, significantly uh, again just putting massive pressures on supply chain uh, but then also a lot of uncertainty about the movement of materials through the supply chain and on top of that you then have this sort of macro sort of tidal wave where the whole sort of built environment has to radically think about what's in their supply chain, who is in their supply chain, how are construction companies addressing their net zero, modern slavery, wider ESG uh, needs. Um, and, and there's a number of, of key drivers for that. Um, I guess a lot of the things I'll talk about um, are, are sort of US focused where, where the vast majority of our customers are, but, but what I say sort of very much holds true um, sort of here in the UK and, and actually globally as well. Uh, we, we did a survey in Q3 last year um, with the Construction Industry Roundtable that I'm, I'm a part of, uh, and that sort of represents, it's an industry body with about 150 members, uh, all of whom are CEOs or CXOs of large construction companies. Um, and it was you know, good to sort of just get this sense of, you know, that, that sort of sort of executive view of, of what the challenges were um, over the last couple of years in terms of those increasing costs and 
project delays and interruptions and so on. What was sort of fascinating though was, and this sort of didn't really surprise me, but it was good to get some empirical evidence, was just sort of getting a sense of how little a lot of construction companies know uh, about this um, and really understand you know, what's going on in their supply chains. Um, as I mentioned, yeah, I was in the military and at every sort of command level in the military, there are key sort of logistics roles and functions. Um, whether you're in a you know, platoon or troop, or a company or squadron, a battalion or regiment, um, you know, through to the head of the armed services, um, logistics is critical. And so what's quite fascinating is, you know, many of our customers are multi-billion dollar revenue businesses, and yet very few of them think about supply chains in a strategic sense. Um, and that creates a, a huge number of, of challenges for them. I, I think sort of bringing into play a, a bit of a UK uh, example, um, and, and these slides uh, come from the Construction Products Association, um, and it's, it's, it's always quite interesting to see what their chief economist uh, puts out. And this sort of just again talks about some of these strategic pressures uh, facing uh, the, the construction industry, whether it's around um, material uh, price inflation uh, or, or insolvencies, and, and there's a very intimate link between the two. Um, as I'll sort of talk about in, in a little bit, um, price of materials has a very large impact on sustainability uh, because ultimately this is an industry where because of its it's so inefficient uh, the the sort of the profit margins particularly for construction companies are, are very low and, and so any sort of ability to shave off cost through cheaper materials um, is, is a key theme that we see globally um, and then that clearly has an impact on on the sort of sustainability requirements of a, of a project uh, and so on. So just, I guess, keeping on with that military theme, um, it, it's always important, I guess, as, a, as an ex-army officer to, to mention Sun Tzu or Clausewitz or something like that. And, and I think this is one of my favourite uh, quotes uh, from him. And, you know, this very much goes to the heart of this issue um, in the construction industry where, you know, the, the industry is very much driven by whiteboards and spreadsheets and uh, frantic phone calls to find out what's going on, um, which actually sort of goes to this sort of overlying issue of, of disorder um, in, in the construction industry. Um, yeah, the, the construction industry um, and the supply chains of the construction industry uh, are very complex. Um, the, the industry itself uh, operates in, in a way that, you know, there'll be materials moving all over the place uh, to, to support projects. Uh, you might have steel that's um, coming from Brazil, uh, then being fabricated in Germany, then ending up in the United States um, to be put on a construction site. Uh, but in no, um, in sort of, it, it's really no different for fish that's caught in the North Sea that's then sent to China for processing, then sent back to Europe um, for, for sales and everything like that. So construction is very much the same. 
I often talk about the construction industry as being a very bad franchise model where whilst the brand name may be the same on any construction site, often the, the ways that they operate are very much done at a project level, so more sort of emulating a, a sort of a, a corner shop. And so you might have you know, a number of materials that are coming from overseas, not necessarily the vast majority of what's happening on a construction site, but certainly uh, quite a bit. Um, and just sort of tracking and understanding that is is, is difficult. Um, if you think about some of the challenges that exist globally, um, your concerns about modern slavery in Western China or, or sanctions related to Russian businesses, just sort of not necessarily knowing and having that visibility through the supply chain uh, presents a huge amount of regulatory risk to, to the construction industry. Uh, there's a, a fairly insane uh, story about a, a, a global cement company uh, that a couple of years ago was actually paying bribes to ISIS. Um, and I know that that sounds utterly ridiculous, but um, they, they were fined about a year ago in the US and, and had to pay $80 million because they were literally bribing uh, or paying protection money rather to ISIS in Syria. Uh, so so the, these are very tangled, tangled webs. Um, and, and so you have you know, the, these challenges that exist and, and having these international supply chains causes these operational challenges um, to projects. But in, in trying to unpick those operational challenges, there's the ability to think about ESG um, as well and helping customers get that. And ultimately it comes back to this visibility issue. And that's just on a project level. When, when you sort of then transition from that into a into sort of a, an enterprise level, the reality is that, you know, there's the, the fragmentation really causes issues for clients when they're thinking about how do they strategically manage their supply chains. Uh, and that, that fourth point um, around compliance risk becomes far more important. At a, in a tactical construction project uh, level environment, people may not necessarily care about their modern slavery obligations, but certainly once you get to the sort of headquarters of any major construction company, uh, that very, very much uh, is a very different uh, talking point. So construction projects um, and construction companies have immense supply chains. Uh, I, I just sort of quickly looked at one of our clients who we're supporting. Uh, we're on uh, about 40 of their construction projects at the moment. And just from a logistics perspective, uh, over the last six months, there's 700 sort of subcontractors who've gone into those 40 sites. Um, if we sort of go back a couple of years, you, you end up seeing thousands and thousands of, of, of sort of tier one, tier two suppliers um, moving into those sites. And, and that's really just from a logistics and material perspective. That doesn't speak to the vast majority of people who are on job sites who are labourers. Um, the, the sort of image on here um, is it comes from a, a, a UK business called Neutral that looks at uh, labour in supply chains on construction sites. And this is this is quite an interesting one talking about uh, what, what's going on uh, from an ESG perspective. And, and they're very much, they've been looking at this from a, a modern slavery perspective. Um, but in the UK in, in particular, when you have things like the 106 planning requirements, uh, for, for projects, often there are implicit requirements to look at local hiring, um, which goes to the S in the ESG, um, and, and trying to help construction companies work out how to map that is, is very difficult. 
um, you know, a lot of well-known construction companies are still using paper forms um, and spreadsheets to do that. Uh, and so there's there's still a bit of a, a, a challenge around sort of using technology to, to manage that. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the sort of impact of inflation in the construction industry. And, and, and fundamentally, there is this interesting sort of interplay between cost and climate. Um, unfortunately, the industry is, is one where profitability is a challenge. And, and so it sort of brings in, into play this sort of lowest bidder uh, mentality with everything. Um, and it's not necessarily about who's going to provide the, the right service or the, the longer term value. It's, it's often about who's the lowest cost. Um, now, um, as opposed to say what that total future cost is going to be. Uh, and certainly when you think about, you know, where there's requirements to um, look at building fabrics and, and, and change things in time uh, because they're, they're causing issues. Uh, and certainly up in Scotland, there's a lot of regulation um, around this. Sometimes there's a very much short-term thinking, which um, ultimately re results in a higher total cost um, in the end. And then there is this interesting contractual dilemma in the construction industry as to who pays when things go wrong. Is, is it the construction company? Is it a subcontractor? Uh, is, it, is it the owner? And often, you know, there's, you know, you just sort of see people deflecting risk uh, onto others. And so I think that sort of, you know, brings us to, to this whole challenge around, you know, the, the sort of impact um, on the industry and, and, and what are the sort of competing pressures for, for construction companies when they're thinking about um, ESG and, and what does that mean. I think we're still in a point of time where there is quite a lot of greenwashing uh, in the industry and a lot of, dare I say, innovation uh, washing, but that's going to have to radically change in, in a number of years. So I thought I'd just talk through a few of these sort of key drivers as, as we sort of uh, see them. For us, I think um, the biggest driver globally is going to be uh, clients. But as much as government regulation uh, is important, ultimately government isn't necessarily a customer. Uh, certainly when it comes to infrastructure projects here in the UK, for example, it is. Uh, but typically the vast majority of construction work is commercial. And so a lot of construction companies have to align their ESG strategies and operations with what their customers are doing. Uh, the the sort of number of construction sort of projects for data centers around the world and, and for pharma companies is is just crazy. Um, and so I thought it'd just be interesting to sort of mention a couple of these uh, here. Uh, and, and we do work uh, indirectly for uh, pretty much all of all of these. Um, and, and so ultimately there are going to be some very specific times from a customer perspective where, where this is needed. Um, that, that being said, where you sort of see this interplay then of uh, within say a, a very large customer who is saying we need to have these particular obligations in place um, and they're very clearly defined at a strategic level but not necessarily implemented at a tactical level. Uh, and then when that is passed into a construction company, you then sort of have that precisely sort of mirrored issue where strategically these things are talked about, but not necessarily implemented at a at a tactical level. But this will change in, in, in the next few years such that these things um, will just become critical. Uh, and they'll sort of go through this process of being, um, you know, customers, 
you know, differentiating themselves in the market because they are going to meet these objectives through to a point probably in about 10 to 15 years where these things will just be uh, re required. Uh, the UK has had a, a, a long history of uh, regulation uh, around this and you know, in 2013 uh, we started doing environmental reporting uh, as a result of the, you know, the FTSE for Good uh, index um, and that has continued uh, from there and certainly uh, over time uh, this increases and um, you know, what, what's happening from a, a public markets perspective through to local government regulation or sort of TfL regulation um, it is all very clearly moving in a particular direction which is, is really going to force this. Um, within the US um, and, and I definitely would not have said this had, had I provided this sort of speech a year ago. I, I think the US is, is going to be very quickly sort of catching up to where, say, Europe uh, is. And there's a number of different drivers. Firstly, from a, a, a publicly traded company perspective, uh, there's a proposed rule which um, is likely going to take effect uh, this year or next. Uh, which will sort of really start to force an issue for um, any publicly traded company understanding their supply chains. And one which is particularly interesting uh, for us is um, the impact on construction companies that are doing federal work. Um, and this will also sort of, and even if even if it's not a federal project, the companies themselves are going to have to uh, present a lot of data on, on what their supply chains are doing. And that creates a great opportunity for us as a business uh, in that a, a lot of construction companies just aren't ready for this. The, the, other, the other sort of interesting component of this though is, is the, the employees. Um, this article has nothing to do with sustainability. Uh, it's all about technology, but it's actually the same you know, core issue. Um, in the US there are 500,000 job openings in construction. So attracting talent is, is a key issue um, and, and that's the same globally. And one of the key, and th this article talks about how if construction isn't using tech properly, you know, people, uh, one of my customers said to me a year ago, you know, I didn't go to university for five years and study engineering to drive a spreadsheet. Um, and, and that's certainly the case. But the same can be said from an ESG perspective, where I think that the younger generation is, is far more attuned to um, ESG and, and being good uh, citizens. Um, and, and certainly I think a point will come where construction companies will lose talent wars because of this. So, so what does that, that all mean, I guess, from this whole dilemma of ESG and, and supply chains? So I, I figured I'd, I'd sort of start again with this slide. Um, the biggest issue that I see and which needs to be resolved is um, just sort of the centralised management of supply chains. It's very difficult for anyone, whether it's an owner, a subcontractor, or indeed anyone in a construction company to, to do this properly if there's no central organisation. Um, in, in, in a business um, and that is that it would be a very seismic change um, in, in construction um, and if I go back to sort of a military analogy you know you can't have a, a scenario where you know platoons are doing their own thing um, with their own logistics and they aren't feeding into a wider logistics strategy and, and the same is exactly the same for for the construction industry. Uh, Lord Kelvin spoke a lot about you know, how important it is to 
measure things um, and in the absence of being able to measure things, you can't manage them. And certainly that sort of visibility of, of helping um, construction companies understand what's going on and, and doing that in real time is, is very important. Um, and as I sort of said earlier, uh, you know, this isn't just about operations or just about ESG. It's actually, you know, key to sort of look at both together. Because if you can have visibility from an operational perspective, a great byproduct of that is having visibility from an ESG perspective. Um, efficiency in, in supply chains. Um, I think the construction industry can learn a lot from other sectors with this. Um, it's it's no um, sort of accident that a number of large construction firms globally are bringing in talent from other industries. Uh, one of our customers in the US, uh, their head of sustainability used to be the head of sustainability at Pepsi. Um, we see people from Airbus going into some more forward thinking construction firms. And so there's an opportunity for sort of you know, cross industry uh, knowledge sharing. Um, nothing that we're doing in, in my business is particularly revolutionary or groundbreaking. We're really just applying um, our thinking um, to what, what's going on in other sectors and, and bring that into construction. Uh, resilience, I think, you know, was a major shock to, um, to a lot of construction companies globally and, and sort of trans transitioning from thinking about solely just in time nearshoring products and everything like that. Uh, the picture on, on the right is uh, we do quite a lot of work at the Port of Los Angeles and, and there was literally 100 container ships just queuing outside that um, a, a period of time at the end of 2021. So just sort of understanding that resilience, whether it's from a sourcing perspective um, or as companies start thinking about using technology a cyber perspective um, and then sort of understanding sort of some of those insurance risks and so on. Uh, sustainability and compliance. Um, I think what one one criticism I would perhaps level here in the UK is it's it's interesting ha having been involved with a number of local authorities with um, looking at new developments and and sort of talking about how um, you know, we were going to meet obligations around vehicle numbers or reporting um, you know how often or local authorities don't necessarily have the staff or bandwidth to actually go and enforce uh, a, a lot of the rules. But ultimately, you know, it, these are things that will need to happen. Um, and it will be very telling when uh, a construction company gets in as much trouble for missing an environmental um, responsibility as much as they do for, for missing health and safety um, responsibilities. Ultimately, though, I, th I think it is going to come down to, you know, very much from a selfish perspective, construction companies thinking about what the customers' needs are. Um, the two pictures here, uh, one on the left is is Amazon talking about their supply chain um, sort of sustainability strategy. Um, the number of construction companies doing work for Amazon is, is, is huge. Um, the picture on the right of, of that, um, uh, Amazon Report is, is actually a construction project that we're working on um, in Washington, DC. Um, and then Brookfield, you know, one of the largest asset managers globally. Um, the likes of Brookfield um, and sort of Macquarie from Australia, um, they have some very, very clear strategies around uh, sustainability and that's gonna have a massive impact uh, in, in the business. 
Uh, but then I guess for me as a, as a sort of construction technology company, we need to sort of understand that this is a very big sort of behaviour change issue um, and sort of trying to go suddenly to a situation where we, we're using buzzword bingo and having an AI tool and blockchain um, sounds great and it might be good to raise some funding from venture capital funds, but it's not going to really help the industry move forward. And, and so we need to sort of take this longer term view of, you know, helping our customers over a five or 10 year um, period to sort of get to a point where they're truly managing uh, their logistics and sort of really understanding that sort of dilemma of how to manage ESG alongside supply chains. That's all I thought I would go through. So uh, Simon, I'll hand back to you. Fantastic, sorry, just put my microphone back on. Um, that was absolutely fascinating. And I can see we've got a lot of questions from, from our, our audience, but as chairman, the, the privilege of the first one um, falls to me. I was going to ask you something very dull about air pollution and road transport, but something you said towards the end um, caught my attention. You mentioned blockchain and um, kind of pushed it to one side. Um, yeah. I believe that companies like IBM have been doing a lot of work on food logistics using blockchain to ensure supply chain integrity. Um, do you think there are applications for, for blockchain within the construction logistics space? Yeah, um, so there, def there definitely is. Um, I mean, Maersk um, wound back their blockchain um, initiatives in, in the last sort of six months or so. It, I'm certainly, and if I just you know go back to that slide, I'm, I'm certainly not saying there isn't a, a space for for this, but you know the industry. I mean, you, you, you sort of you, you're dealing with people who literally. I mean, <clears throat> there's a multi-billion-dollar construction project in New York, and and the person managing logistics literally had a little book, and he was writing in his little book what was going on. That that was it. That was how he's managing logistics. So trying to sort of get someone like that to switch to a blockchain solution overnight is, isn't isn't going to happen. Uh, one of, I think one of the interesting sort of changes that we will see in the construction industry over time is that there's, there's just some very significant labor issues um, and particularly sort of a, an aging population in the construction industry. So I think in about 10 years, you're going to see a lot of people leave the industry who are going to be replaced by people who are you know, under 30 for whom the, the concept of artificial intelligence and blockchain will be a lot more real to them. Um, you know, they'll all be used to using apps and in, in some respects as a, as a tech sort of CEO, we need to think about ensuring that the tools that we're providing to customers are sort of almost like consumer products rather than business products. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely going to happen, but the, the construction industry is just so far behind on some of this. It's just going to take a while to, to to get there. And that's also linked to, you know, contracts in, unlike say food, you know, con construction projects that are up and running now and will run through to the end of 2030 might've already had all the contracts done for this. So trying to sort of enforce a new solution could be highly problematic. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to be going down that path, but we're just not there yet. So, isn't one of the problems that the construction industry is is just too complex? It's over complex at the moment. What steps do you think could be taken to to try and simplify things a little bit? 
Yeah, so um, I think, um, and sort of going back to that whole military uh, thing, it's uh, one of my one of my staff. He worked at five different construction projects, and they have they had five different sets of operating procedures and five different sets of spreadsheets, and and that's unbelievably inefficient. So I think a lot of construction companies are their own worst enemy because they don't standardize procedures and they have a view that oh, every project is so unique that they can't use a single set of standard operating procedures. Um, and I think just doing that, and that doesn't just relate to us, that's just a general comment about construction uh, companies, that, that will have a massive difference. Um, <clears throat> we, we still see challenges with our customers where you know, we'll be on you know, 50 sites with a client and then one project says, oh, I don't really want to use the software. And then because that's too small or whatever and so and that and you sort of see that you know rather than saying you know you have to use it because that creates a standard process for everyone whether it's our team or, or the supply chain um there's this view that sort of people running construction sites can do their mm -hmm. own thing so i think if that changes that will help to reduce a lot of the sort of unforced complexity in the in the industry so I mean, ironically we're talking about around. more professionalism um or yeah. a different sort of professionalism yeah absolutely yeah i mean you know people are very experienced but the reality is that if every single project has their own different ways of doing things because different individuals change and we also see this with you know when when people you know uh, move between job sites all the operational procedures suddenly change because a person has left that that's not sustainable by any stretch of the imagination. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma, um, and that's certainly something that if the construction industry solved through training um, and and I guess more strict rules, it, it'd be much better. You mentioned some fairly frightening existential threats to the construction industry. So you know an aging workforce, people leaving, but also you've got this recent very large increase in in the costs of construction isn't that going to impact on the amount of construction that can can take place so are we going to see less construction uh going forward if so what can be done in the logistics space to help cut those costs and and uh you know keep the construction industry on a, an even keel I mean, that's particularly important yeah. for, you know, the amount of house building that's going to be done in the yeah. UK. Yeah, uh, we, we could probably talk about this for several hours. So I'll try and keep uh, my, my, my responses uh, pretty brief on this. So, um, I mean, Australia has just put a pause on all of their major infrastructure projects through to, through to next year, sort of citing cost issues. Um, the unfortunate problem with doing that, though, is those cost issues aren't going to magically go away in 12 months. And if anything, it's just going to make it worse. Um, so, you know, that sort of material cost challenges is going to be there. My, my, my personal view is actually the bigger problem is, is labour shortages. And actually that's going to operate as a, as a much greater constraint on construction um, projects more so than material costs. Well, because ultimately, if you don't have enough people who are qualified to do the work, then you literally just can't do the work, and it takes you know ten years to to train an engineer appropriately. Um, so, so you have, I think, a big disconnect uh, there, and 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 dare I say, you know, this sort of insistence that everyone goes to university instead of you know doing apprenticeships 
um, and not valuing apprenticeships maybe as much as they should be is, is a challenge. But technology obviously has a role to play in um, reducing that, but that's actually where I see the bigger, the bigger problem for the construction industry. Um, supply chains absolutely can become more efficient and, and that, you know, fr from an operational perspective, ensuring that people only have to order materials once um, and ordering the right materials can significantly reduce the waste. Um, yeah, that, that's a very easy win. Um, but in, in this environment where you just have so much uncertainty around what's going on, then that, then that creates a, a bit of a challenge. Um, now, it's a bit earlier, you mentioned capturing scope three uh, emissions in logistic supply chains. Um, yeah. What boundary judgments do you use to, uh, for the capture of emissions and how do you use those boundary judgments for for identifying other impacts and and, and costs uh yeah the, the accounting of scope three emissions is is murky to, to to say the least uh you know if if someone is driving into central london from essex um and they're delivering to three different job sites how do you determine which job site gets what um sort of environmental emission do you divide it equally because the truck is effectively going the same distance do you divide it by weight um can you tell exactly what it is and typically the answer is no because you have to use the likes of say google maps or something to do some calculations so that's a very very difficult um issue to work out the other area where i think there's a lot of challenges in, in determining the embedded carbon of um, a, a material is, you know, through the fabrication process, you know, what's what's sort of the waste through the fabrication process. And, you know, if, if you have a ton of steel at the start of the fabrication process and you've got only sort of 700 kilograms after, what's happened to the other 300, you know, is that being reused for something? So so the the accounting for this is is incredibly complex and, you know, we're, we're sort of still grappling with how to, to do that. Um, and, and people don't necessarily put the right information in. Um, I mean, we have, you know, we have a, a funny scenario with a customer where they don't want to necessarily disclose how many um, generators they've hired for the project um, because of the potential cost impact on the owner. And, um, and so sometimes you see that people don't necessarily want to disclose this information as much as you have that sort of more general accounting challenge. So it's, it's definitely something we haven't solved yet, but we're, we're trying desperately to work out how to do it. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to provide precise accounting for, for several years to come still. Um, and, and again, that's just one of the things we're trying to, to look at. Um, because, you know, and as, as we've spoken about previously, it's not just about the embodied carbon, it's, it's the you know, particulate matter in, in London and, and things like that, which are of concern and, and how can you then transition to sort of electric vehicle fleets and, and stuff like that. Excellent. Now, uh, thank you very much, James. I'm afraid that time has caught up with us, ladies and gentlemen. I know that some of you still got questions to ask. Um, please do drop us a line uh, and we can pass your questions directly on to James. Uh, we're also going to be posting the recording of this presentation online in the next couple of days so you can revisit what James has uh, had to say. Uh, it just remains for me to thank members of the FS Club for making today possible. 
I'd also urge you to keep an eye on our forthcoming events page for more webinars, which are going to include parametric insurance in 2023 in out and shaking about, the launch of the Smart Centers Index 7, uh, and uh, which is on the 25th of May, and Digital Care, who's getting digital now on the 1st of June. You can catch up with all our previous webinars uh, on our website, uh, on YouTube, or on our Pizzazz TV channel. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much for attending. Goodbye. Yeah.